This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Bulwark. Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast, bringing you expert tips to improve safety and health at your workplace. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Flame-resistant, or FR clothing, is important PPE for workers in many different industries. To provide the proper level of protection for your workforce, there are some tips you should remember about selecting, using, and maintaining FR garments. Here uh, to talk about some of those tips and uh, the important things you should know about FR clothing is Derek Sang. Derek is Technical Training Manager with Bulwark and has more than 25 years of experience in the flame-resistant clothing industry. Derek, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Scott, great. Thanks for uh, having me and uh, look forward to the next 30 minutes or so and talking a little bit about flame-resistant and arc-rated clothing. Absolutely. Me too. Uh, excited. Uh, it's a very, very interesting topic. So yes, we're, we're talking about you know ARFR clothing, and I thought we could kind of start at the beginning of that process and you know the the selection of that clothing. So for those folks who may be listening, who you know may be involved in the process of selecting uh, FR clothing, you know what are the most important things for them to know and to look for to make sure they're making the right choices for their workforce. Great question and, and a great place to start because uh, really it all boils down to like with any PPE selection, uh, what's your hazard risk assessment? What hazards can your people be exposed to on the job site? And then your responsibility on, on how to protect them. So we want to look there first. So what we protect folks against is short duration thermal exposures from Electric arc flashes and industrial really flash fires is, is the two core markets. Uh, we find our arc flashes in our electrical community, whether that's our utilities with uh, generation, transmission, distribution, or general industry for those who are actually keeping the lights on and keeping the widget machines moving. In our oil and gas community at uh, all the way from upstream to downstream, we're looking at the actual uh, drilling and fracking process, we're looking at the transportation process, and then even into the refineries all require flame-resistant clothing. So when you're looking at selection, really the first key component of it is the protection. Will these garments protect against the hazards that I have assessed? Uh, will it protect against a short-duration arc flash? Will it protect against a, a thermal exposure from flash fire? So once we establish that we have the protection covered, now you get to look into the kind of the soft sided. Is it going to be comfortable? Is it going to be something that I not only have to wear, but I want to wear? Is it going to provide value? Because these are not inexpensive items. You want to have your return on investment. You don't, we want them to last in many cases, multiple months and even into a couple of years so you can get that, that ROI back. So when we look at the equation, it is protection equals comfort and value because it doesn't matter how comfortable and, and how uh, ROI is, first and foremost, I can't protect you. So you identify what your hazard is and then you start evaluating the best PPE to protect your folks from that hazard. 
a lot of great points there to keep in mind. So moving on to you kind of the next step of the process and, and the use of those garments, you know, you, you've purchased your FR clothing. Now you have to ensure that they're used properly on the job site. And as you noted there, there's a lot of different job sites these may be used on. So, you know, what are the most important things to remember about the proper use of FR clothing so that it, you know, it keeps workers safe while they're wearing it? The first thing we've got to remember is we have to train our people on the proper use uh, of any PPE. Uh, for some, it's a lot easier than others. How to properly don and doff a hard hat, relatively easy. Uh, when and where I wear my hard hat, I have a big sign that says hard hat area. Uh, safety glasses, when do we wear those? Our hearing protection, that's all easy. And then we get into a little bit of a gray area for some reason when it comes to clothing, but the same concept has to take place. I have to train my folks on how to properly don and doff it, meaning put it on and take it off, how to properly uh, employ it or deploy it more correctly. I have to have my sleeves rolled down, secured at the wrist, buttoned up to the neck. If I'm wearing a shirt and pant, the correct way to interface that is tucked in. If I'm wearing a coverall, I got to make sure that I don't have my sleeves tied around my waist. I'm actually in the coverall with it zipped up and also secured down to the wrist. So that is actually part of the training process, which under 1910-132, you folks have to make sure that you're documenting that. That's where folks like myself and others can come in when you're rolling out your program or you're in your program is on a regular basis, we can enhance and complement your doing by providing that training and allow you to document that they've went through that training on how to properly use and interface the garments because all our standards tell us that shirt and pants have to be worn tucked in. 70E will tell you that your arms have to be covered and secured at the wrist. Uh, 2113 for our oil and gas folks, they will tell us how to properly wear that ensemble when they're, they're in the field. And every uh, area that's reasonable needs to be covered with FR clothing. ASTM 1506 is a little bit of a gray area because they talk about interfacing of a shirt and pant. But if you talk to anybody, what proper interfacing of the design of a shirt and pant is shirts get tucked into pants. And there's actual good reason for those because what we wear underneath could potentially be exposed to thermal energy. For example, you're allowed to wear natural fibers underneath your FR clothing. You don't want to wear anything that could melt and drip and add to injury. So that's great. But also remember that that outermost layer has to stay intact in that thermal event. So if it starts to break open, if it starts to fail, which can happen when these energies are significant and long enough, then what's underneath now could potentially factor into unnecessary injury. I also talked to my utility uh, folks. They like to have their shirts untucked. They like to have them outside the pant. Well, if they're wearing fuel underneath, that's a pathway for that thermal energy to get up and under. How do you eliminate that? Go to two layers of FR. FR base layers today are far more sophisticated than, than they have been in even just recent years. The comfort level, the moisture management capabilities, and the lightweightness of these FR base layers are mimicking very much that we would see in our performance uh, categories that we would see outside in the retail world. Why is that important? I've now eliminated fuel, AKA something that can catch fire from my equation. So technically, could I have my shirt untucked if I have a FRAR base layer? Yes, you could, because the fear is 
thermal energy coming up and igniting a cotton undergarment is no longer valid because I've taken it out of the equation. So not only can we look at training folks on how to do it, you can look at enhancing and complementing existing FR and PPE and making it even better by taking fuel completely out of the equation. Great point. And it seems like, as you're talking there, it seems like communication is going to be a big part of this, you know, and, and planning, letting workers know, hey, we're going to be working in these environments and you're going to need to be wearing your, you know, FR clothing while we're doing th this type of work on this day. So it seems like communication would be a big part of that equation as well. Absolutely. Communication slash training, uh, even looking at what's available in the marketplace, whether you're new uh, to an FR clothing program or you're looking to enhance and complement an existing FR clothing program, evaluating what's available on, on the marketplace and allowing your team members to participate in that evaluation like anything else is going to minimize pushback. You're never going to make 100% of everybody happy all the time, especially when you're getting into something as personal as clothing. But you can definitely mitigate some of that pushback by inviting your team to participate in that selection and that evaluation. Because once you establish a baseline of what protection do we need, whether that's category two, whether that's a minimum of eight calories of protection, or whether that's 2112 uh, compliant garments, whatever that initial uh, baseline is, there's a lot of things to factor into bringing stuff on board and having your team participate in that is, is essential. So right to your point there, that also would bracket under communication. I'm really glad you mentioned, you know, working and collaborating with your team, because as you noted, that's such an important part of any kind of PPE and making sure it's providing the proper fit for, you know, everybody on the job site. You can't say, okay, here, everybody, here's a, here's a, here's a large shirt or something like that. Here, here you go. That, you know, if, it, if it's not providing the proper fit, as you noted, it can be creating additional hazards. So that collaboration is really key. Yeah, it's, it's definitely no, definitely is not one size fits all especially when we look at the diversity uh, of our workforce today, making sure that you have a provider that not only has a wide, but a deep product line for both male, female, for accessories. I mean, even looking at things like high-vis vests and making sure that those fit properly and they don't uh, add to a potential or create an unnecessary hazard because they're too big or too small or they don't fit properly or whatever variety of uh you want to look at there it's key that you're you're broad enough and deep enough that you can cover a large workforce and make it work for everybody definitely now with any PPE, you have to think about, you know, not only proper use, but proper care to, you know, keep the equipment, the clothing, whatever it might be working effectively, you know, for a long time. So what are the key factors in caring for FR garments? The, the great thing about where we are today versus even, even a decade ago is the marketplace has done a really, really good job of really developing fibers that become fabrics, that become garments, that minimize the amount of care necessary to make sure that they do their number one job and that that's protect you. So we're not we're not doing anything to where we can potentially mitigate the FR properties or the FR engineering of whatever that uh, 
mechanism is. So really today, stick to the basics, stick to the simples, hot water, liquid bleach, and, and, and dry it. As crazy as that sounds, if you just do those things across today's commercially viable fabrics, you're going to have a garment that lasts you a long time. So avoid the stuff that I didn't talk about. I didn't say bleach, stay away from bleach. I didn't say peroxide, stay away from peroxide. Don't put fabric softener, whether it's in the liquid form or the dryer sheets, we don't want to do anything like that. Starches, any kind of additive that you would think would enhance your retail line or your everyday clothing line, don't do that to your PPE. So do the simples. And that that even includes all the way down to our industrial laundry customers. In today's world, the, the laundry chemistry necessary to keep this stuff in good, useful condition is actually relatively simple. And you'll have a product that'll serve you well. And more importantly, it'll work day one, day 1001. And if you ever need it, the day that has a thermal exposure, it's going to work there too. The key important is staining in and of itself doesn't mean you've you, you've uh, you've impeded or, or deteriorated NDFR property. Is if it's stained and clean, you're fine. If it's stained and still smells like fuel, guess what it is? It's still fuel. So it's really important that whatever cleaning process you utilize, as simple as it sounds, when you're finished that process and you get a waft of hydrocarbon or accelerant. It's still there. Wash it until it's gone. If you can't get rid of it, it's got to be replaced. And that's in what, where many cases where it does make sense to have an industrial launderer because they get a little higher temperatures. They get a little bit uh, better chemistry that, than you can get at home where you can make a decision to have those garments because they're built for that environment. They're built to, to, to deal with that type of laundering. So it can be done. Uh, but again, our stuff goes into some really, really uh, rough environments and are exposed to a lot of uh, chemistry. But historically, they've held up well just doing the simples. It's a good thing to remember. And you mentioned there, uh, you know, if it does get to the point where it needs to be replaced. So that's a perfect segue into my next question. So, you know, any any PPE, you're going to have that wear and tear and over time. So, you know, how how do you know? when to repair or replace an FR garment? What what should people be looking for? That is probably the, the, the toughest question we have because there are no absolutes. Uh, the cool thing is, is with all the top manufacturers today and all the top fabrics that they're utilizing, they are built to retain those FR properties for the life of the garment. Now I say that and everybody nods their head and goes, yes, but how long will the FR properties last? And I just said for the life of the garment, because we make, decisions to retire garments all the time. And in our PPE world, our leadership team makes decisions to retire other types of PPE all the time. I've got a crack in my hard hat, a lens is missing in my safety glasses, my safety shoes, uh, I can see all the steel uh, toes from. So we know when stuff needs to replace. We push the envelope a little bit when it comes to our clothing. I see stuff that is threadbare, has multiple tears, multiple repairs, you know, holes in knees, holes in elbows. So what kind of guidance can I give you? Because the standards tell you how to repair it, but they don't tell you how many repairs. They don't tell you when it should be replaced. They don't give you the, so what is the best practice? What I'd like to give people is really two analogies. The first analogy is, is, Take a look at 
an alternate life-saving piece of equipment and compare that to your flame-resistant arc-rated clothing. That alternate life-saving piece of equipment I like to compare it to is think of a fall harness. If you climb and you have to wear a fall harness, that fall harness has to be in worn correctly. It, ha it can't have any cuts. It can't have any frays. The D-ring and everything has to be, you know, make sure it can be connected to and utilized properly. If any of those things aren't in line, you've got to replace it. So for our FR clothing, we don't get any guidance on how threadbare, well, how many rips, how many tears. Things. So if you think about my knees are wearing out, I've got uh, holes in the elbows, I've got frays all over my neck, you probably should replace it. The easiest vision I can give you, if you, if you think of the OK sign, one hole, a nickel or a quarter size hole, and a rip of three inches or less, one per garment. So you get one three-inch rip, you get one hole that you can fix, and after that, retire the garment. That's the best guidance I can give you as far as how much of the integrity of that safety device do you want to tolerate being diminished before you replace it. Because your FR properties are there for as long as you keep pushing it out there, but they are they going to be as effective if the garment is holes, if the garment is threadbare, anything else? Is it going to protect you as much as it could if you had one that was in better condition? So just think about it that way as my kind of nugget. Right. And and to your point, you, you'll know it when you see it. Yeah. Kind of, kind I mean, of we, all, we all know that guy on the crew or that person who's wearing their stuff where you shake your head and go, dude, how's that still there? And if and it's up to us to go there and go, here, here's an option. Go get a new one. You know, here's an option. You know, turn that in. Whether you're turning it in uh, at the tool room or you're actually going online with your online program and getting another one, let's get that upgraded. And, as, and we make those decisions as safety professionals all the time when it comes to other PPE. We just need to be a little bit more uh, forceful uh, when it comes to our shirts, pants, and coveralls. Something you touched on earlier is, you know, garments you may have underneath of, of FR clothing. And so, and, you know, there may be accessories that you're putting on over or under it, or, you know, something on your head or your hands. So what, what's important to keep in mind? Good with, segue, with those types because we when we get out in the field and we actually engage with our end users, our wearers, you can see very, very good programs where there's a chance of uh, potential jeopardy or where they put unnecessary risks. For example, what's the easiest one? If I'm 2112 compliant all the way to my wrist, what are my gloves? Well, if you've got a good heavyweight glove that might have some Kevlar or Aramid in it, it's going to resist ignition. That's one thing. But when you put it in these, these gloves that have grips, that are knits, that are made of meltables, what's going to happen to your hand? Your hands are arguably your trade. Uh, so you're going into a thermal hazard. You know that because you're wearing flame-resistant uh, coveralls, and then you put meltables on your hands. That's one way to be cautious. The other way to be cautious is think we're going to be going into winter here shortly. Under my hard hat, a lot of guys will put uh, knit caps, skull caps, other things in there for that additional layer of warmth. What if that synthetic materials? Does that have FR properties? We've got to be cautious there. Uh, 
simple things like donning a non-FR vest over top of our flame-resistant arc-rated clothing. Well, that's going to ignite, that's going to catch fire, that's going to nullify, and all that heat and energy is going to go through and cause unnecessary injury. Uh, anywhere would we see potential things like that? Uh, one that I saw the other day, for example, brand-new flame-resistant arc-rated coat. And what were they wearing underneath? A non-FR hoodie. Now, it wasn't a big deal until you see that big hood sitting on the back of their neck that is now non-FR. The other fear I have is what about during the workday, it starts to heat up and we doff or take off our arc-rated outer layer. And I forget that I grabbed my hoodie off the back of the door on the way out because I wanted a letter, uh, an extra layer of insulation because it was going to be cold. And I forget and I start working in my non-FR uh, hoodie. Now, everybody says that will never happen with my team, but the potential's there. So we've got to be very, very cautious when it comes to things like gloves, bandanas, uh, wool caps, uh, watch caps, vests, rain gear, really anything that you're going to put on top of or in addition to your approved FRAR garments. Very good things to remember. Uh, anything else you'd uh, you'd like to to add uh, about uh, FR clothing selection care use as we close out? On, it's not so much what it can do, what it can't do. This is secondary PPE. This is designed to mitigate potential injury and eliminate clothing ignition from exposure to short duration thermal events. It's not a suit of armor. You're not going to be able to run into burning buildings and saving babies wearing a seven ounce shirt and 12 ounce denim. But it will save your life if you take care of it properly, if you wear it properly, and you got good stuff to begin with. So do all those things, and uh, hopefully you never have to use my stuff for what we build it for. But if you ever do, uh, hopefully uh, it'll mitigate and take care of you as best it can. Right. That, that's and yeah, that, that this, that's what this is all about. Well, uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Derek. There's a lot of really important things for you know, employer safety professionals to keep in mind. So Scott, really thank appreciate you much. coming it was on. A pleasure. Appreciate it. Stay safe. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time. Thank you.